So how many of you, you can admit this if you want to, guys, you might not want to, but you've watched a Hallmark Christmas time movie. So growing up, my mom absolutely loved Hallmark time. The 25 days of Christmas were on all the time. Like, even in July. Don't tell my mom that. Shh. I'm not in the house anymore, so it doesn't matter. But every single Christmas, 25 days of Christmas would come up. They do. They do have the Christmas in July. Uh, but 25 days of Christmas, and that's all we would watch. That's it. That's the only time of the year that my mom had control over the remote control. The rest of the time, it was my dad. But during the 25 days of Christmas, it was just nonstop Hallmark movies. And so if you've never watched a Hallmark movie during Christmas time, let me give you the synopsis of about 300 of them. <laughs> a girl meets a guy. The girl and the guy, they fall in love. At some point in the movie, it doesn't seem like they're going to get together. And so it frustrates you. You're like, they're perfect for each other. Just get together. Right? And then they leave. They separate. And you're like, all hope's lost. She's just going to survive without love. She's going to die alone with the 50 cats. And he's going to go find some beautiful woman. Right? And then they get together at the end. And then they live happily ever after. And so it's in a small town. And so that's, that's the premise of all of them. So if you haven't watched it, I saved you thousands of hours <laughs> watching these. Not all of them are the same. They've got some new ones that are different. But growing up, they were all the same. Same characters, same actors and actresses, just a different scene. That was all. That was the difference. But here's the problem that I have with some of them. Not all of them, because normally, now times, it's, it's the single lady or single man if they kind of switch up the roles a little bit. But there was one that I remember particularly, and I got a little confused by it. What it was is uh, this woman was engaged. And so she was engaged. And the way that they portrayed the movie was that this guy that she was with was just a workaholic. He just worked all the time. Worked, 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 worked. And, and she was getting frustrated with it, but she was trying her best to stay loyal. Well, then she goes home for the holidays, goes home to her parents' house and her hometown, and she tells him, this is where I'm going, and he says, no, I have to work, so I'm going to stay behind. And so she goes by herself, finds her high school sweetheart, and they start talking, and, and you know, apparently this guy has just waited years for, for her to come back, right? And... And so they start talking. They don't call it dating, but they're dating. And the, the like moment where you're like, oh, they're not going to get together was when the fiancé comes to her parents' house and surprises her on Christmas Eve, of course, right? And so now, yeah, that was funny. So now, <laughs> it was funny then too. Um, so now there's like this tension because she is now feeling very happy with this other man. And now this new man, or this old man has come back, and, and she's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so her mind tells her, you need to stay loyal. So then she starts, she goes back with her, with her fiancé. And then, of course, since it's a Hallmark movie, everyone's frustrated. We're like, that's not a happy ending. They, they break off the engagement. She goes back home, and she's with this new guy. 
Now, why is that a problem? Well, it demonstrates a human type of love. A love that's strictly based on feelings and emotions. Because you're going to come up with all these different reasons on why she would break up the engagement. I'm sure that they piled on and piled on. But the reality is what Hallmark movies showed us was that this honeymoon phase of love is real love. And if you've been married long enough, you know that's not true. There's the honeymoon phase, and it's real, and everything is so great, and it's easy, and it's easy to love, and nothing goes wrong, but then once you graduate out of the honeymoon phase, marriage becomes hard. Loving people becomes hard, and it's a difficult thing that we all deal with, and how many of us deal with it, how many people in the world deal with it, is they just end it. When they don't feel the feelings anymore, when they don't have this honeymoon phase of type of love, they're like, well, I just, I, I fell out of love with these people and so now I got a divorce or I got to break off engagements and I got to break off covenants and promises. And so broken human love is okay with breaking all of these different promises and covenants. And you might say, well, you know, if you're married, you might not outright divorce or outright cheat on someone, but there's more ways that you can break a covenantal marriage without it ever being seen by anyone else. And so if you really look at the biblical standard of what marriage or love type of relationships are, whenever that is broken, it doesn't have to be so visible. And some of you, you've probably experienced someone else breaking that covenant for you. A love based on emotions and feelings will always lead towards an adulterous type of relationship. It might not be outside, like outright cheating, but it's a relationship where there's some type of broken covenant. And that's how we are with God. We can be like that sometimes. If you remember the first time that you were saved or the first time that it all just clicked with you, this is what Christianity is. This is what God is. This is who he is. This is what it's like to be in church and all these different things right? It feels like a honeymoon phase, right? We have a honeymoon phase with God. I don't know if you knew that. But there's this phase where following God is so easy, and and it's so loving, and it's so filled with love, and everything's just going amazing. It's all great and fantastic, and then life hits. And then you sit back, and you're like, where is God in all of this? What, what happened, it was so easy at first and now I'm having to work towards my relationship with God because now it's, prayer isn't coming in as easy as it used to be. After dealing with this difficult season in my life, it's so much harder to want to go to church. It's so much harder to go and sit down and read the Bible and, and love God back. The book of Hosea demonstrates this well that we're so much like Gomer. We, we fall in love with Hosea. We fall in love with God, and then it's so easy for us to, quote-unquote, fall out of love with God again because Satan's over here saying, this is what you really want. You know, look at what God let, you, let happen to you, and, and he doesn't love you if he let that happen to you, but over here you'll find love. And so you dabble in it for a little bit, whatever it is, and then it 
feels really good. You feel loved. You feel comforted. You feel at peace. But it always fades away. And when it fades away, you look back and you're like, well, maybe, maybe God will love me, but then Satan's always there saying, well, maybe that didn't work, but this will work, or this will work. But we serve a God who's so loving to us that he already knew that we were going to do this to him. He created us knowing that we would reject him. He died for us in place of us for the forgiveness of our sins and pay off all the debt of every single sin that you and I have committed throughout our lifetime knowing that we would take advantage of what he's done for us. A guy by the name of Octavius Winslow said it this way. So completely was Jesus bent upon saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself. He created the tree upon which he was to die and nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail him to the accursed wood. Meaning that God loves you and I so much that he created the very thing that his only son was going to hang on to die. And he raised up and took care of the people who would eventually nail him to the cross because he loved them. Now, if you've been in church long enough and you've been to any type of Easter service, you know that you and I are the ones that nailed him to the cross. It's not necessarily the Roman soldiers that nailed him and they physically did that, but spiritually, we all nailed him to the cross with every single sin. And when we did that, we wounded our relationship with God because of our sins. And we left ourselves hopeless because there is nothing that we could possibly do once we've sinned to get that stain of sin out. And so the world in the Old Testament knew this. They knew that once they broke the law of Moses, they would never be able to completely restore this relationship. And so they sacrificed all the time to try and, and, and mend the wound and try to heal the wound that they created. But as the prophets would speak, there would come a day where a Messiah, a Savior of the world, would come and end the slavery of sin once and for all. And when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, he announced for the first time that this gift of love that had been promised for generations before is finally here. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God's ultimate gift of love and grace was coming and he was here and his kingdom would never end. Then he appears to Joseph and says the same thing and then says his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then the angels would appear to the shepherds and say the exact same thing and they would open it up saying, we have good news that will cause great joy for all people. The Savior has arrived and this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate his birth because Jesus' birth would mark the beginning of the end of sin and death. Jesus' birth gives us hope that we serve a God whose kingdom will never end. No matter how strong or how powerful the kingdom of darkness and evil may seem, and no matter how much you watch the news and you see and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way that good is ruling. It's all ruled by evil. And no matter how strong or how powerful or how influential you think the, the kingdom of evil is, God's kingdom will never end. It will never be destroyed. And as followers of Christ, we're given this peace a peace that passes all understanding. And as long as we look to God, 
As long as we love God and we focus on him and we seek him and we serve him, we will never be destroyed because we're also part of that kingdom. And so even when it feels like Satan is just beating you down to the ground, you serve a God whose kingdom will never end and will never let you be destroyed. Because also as followers of Christ, we're given peace. A peace that passes all understanding because what's his name? Emmanuel. Meaning God is with us. We can have this peace that he's always here and this will give us great joy for all people because he's with us. He loves us. And he will never leave us nor abandon us. And no matter how lonely or afraid you may feel, no matter how much the enemy will try to isolate you and say you're the only one that's going through all of this and so you need, no matter how much the enemy tries to fill you with fear of what to do next, his name is Emmanuel, which means he is with us and he's with you every single walk every single day of your life. But this news is more than just good news. It's a message of love. And I love Romans chapter 5, verse 8, because I think it describes God's love so well in such short of a sentence. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a message worth celebrating. That's a message worth more than our lives and worth our lives to be given up to. So instead of demonstrating and falling into this broken love that us humans have created, that us humans have portrayed in just about every single movie that you can find, let the world know us, not by our love, but by his love. And let me tell you, this love comes with the responsibility. It comes with a large responsibility in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus calls his disciples and us to go and share the gospel message with the world. But if you've been in church, you know that. You've heard it a hundred times. But I want to give you something else. The angels. Uh, at the beginning, I called them the messengers of love. They announced his birth, and they would also be there at the resurrection scene on the tomb, announcing his resurrection, how he conquered death and he conquered sin. After that moment, the angels will continue to speak to people, but not in the same way. Now, I did my own research. I encourage you, go and do your own research, but this is what I found. When the angels spoke in the book of Acts, it was for guidance. When the angels spoke during the gospel accounts, it was about Jesus. And so, from the moment, besides the very first encounter with angels in the book of Acts, which we'll get to in a second, the angels do not speak of Jesus. They speak of guidance from the Holy Spirit. The one moment that we find in the book of Acts where the angels spoke about Jesus was this, and it's Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. After he said this, meaning Jesus, he had taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, hid him from their sight. When they looked intently up to the sky as he was going, suddenly... Two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so this is the last time that the angels, before we get to the book of Revelation, says Jesus is coming back. But what I love is that Jesus commissions them first. And after he rises again, he spends time with them for 40 days, is what the book of Acts will tell us. 40 days he taught them. When he ascended, he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And the first words spoken at that moment to the disciples who were going to go spread the message was essentially, why are you standing here? Go and do what you've been called to do. You don't have to keep looking for him. He's coming back. Go and do what you've called me or what he's called you to do. And what that tells me we are the messengers of love now. It's our responsibility to share this with other people. And it will continue to be our responsibility to share this love with people until the angels announce his return. So don't get caught standing around. This Christmas, share the love of Christ with your family. Share the love of Christ with your friends. Share the love of Christ with that annoying person in Walmart that always blocks the entire aisle Love them. Share that love with them. Go and tell the world about what Christ has done. What this really means when we say Christmas and Christ's birth. What it really means when we're talking about the season of Advent. What it really means. Because their eternity depends on it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time and for this moment. Give us the strength to go and tell and share and be your love in other people's lives. Lord, as some of us are going through difficult seasons in our life, others are going through very joyful, happy seasons of their life. Lord, as your church, no matter what season, no matter what gifts, no matter what abilities, that we would just be able to come together as a church and say, Lord, here we are. Send us. We know what you've called us to do. It's up to us to do it. And so, Lord, help us, continually help us to be the messengers of love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.